morning, everyone. How you doing? Hey, um, today we're going to continue on with our fall series, Recovering Redemption. And uh, before we start, I just want to put a plug in for uh, the Chilies and Chocolates seminar, marriage uh, seminar that's coming up. It's led by a guy named Kelly Householder, who has a master's degree in Christian counseling. Uh, I rely on him. Many people do. As he would say, it's it's not necessarily the marriage that's in trouble. It's just like an automobile. You need to do things to maintain it and, and make sure things are working right, the tires are okay, that you do an oil change. And that's what this is about, preventing problems down the road. So if you can make that, I would strongly encourage you to sign up with Kelly out in the foyer. Today I want to start out with a story. I want to tell you about something that happened back in April of 1994. Many of you probably read about it. I did or saw it on TV. There was a terrible massacre that happened in the African country of Rwanda. Uh, there were between 500,000 and a million people who were killed in what at the time was called a civil war, but it wasn't really the kind of war that, that we think of. There weren't borders. These were people who literally were killing people who lived next door to them. Uh, one of those people was a, a lady named Patricia. And Patricia came home one day at the beginning of the war to discover that her entire family had been massacred. The only survivor was a four-month-old niece who she found next to her mother. She picked her up and realized that she needed to escape. And so she began to run towards a border uh, where she felt she could go and, and get to some safety. As she was leaving the village, several people in the village of the opposing tribe saw her, and they began to pursue her. And she ran as fast as she could, holding this baby, but eventually they caught up with her. They began to slice at her body with a, a, a knife called a penga, which is kind of like a machete. It's used to cut through uh, vines in a forest. And eventually she fell. She was badly wounded. Her shoulder was broken. And... Laying there, she pretended to be dead so that they wouldn't finish her off. Later on, after the war, she returned to her village to discover that all her belongings had been stolen, her house had been burned down, she had actually nothing and very little hope. One of the men who had chased her was a neighbor named Alloys. And Alloys was back in the village when she returned, and, and she turned him in. She went to the police and told him that he was one that had attacked her, and she testified at his trial. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, but the, the, the Rwandan prison system couldn't hold all the people who had been accused of crime. So he was sentenced to a house arrest and, and to do community service. He was assigned to clean the latrines in the village. Every day... He would see her and he would wonder, someday is she going to have someone kill me for what I've done? And he lived with fear and bitterness for the situation that he was in. And he felt guilt about it. Patricia, she saw him every day and it always reminded her of what had happened. The hurt and the pain. She still carried the scars, the loss of her family and her belongings. What do you do when there's a relationship that's badly damaged? Some of the relationships that we have in our lives are broken badly. Some of them may be as severe as that. And so today, we're going to continue on with our series. And that's what we're going to look at. How to repair relationships when we've sinned against somebody, when we've caused them harm. 
The book of Proverbs tells us in chapter 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Today we're going to talk about how we as Christians can obtain mercy from our brothers and sisters when we've sinned against them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for these men and women in this group today, for this gathering. I thank you that today we, we get to come to you and to worship you and to give you praise. Uh, but even more than that, Lord, I thank you now for the work of your Holy Spirit in the future. I thank you for conversations that are going to happen this week because of the moving of your Spirit. Lord, just open our eyes, open our hearts as we look at your word and what it tells us about restoring relationships. And Lord, today as we share communion, Lord, please remind us of just how great the price was for our sin in restoring the relationship. We thank you because we can gather in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. Well, we've been, as I said, we've been going through a series called Recovering Redemption. And we're in our sixth week of that, our sixth weekend. And, and many of you are in groups that have been talking about it and looking through it. And as we've been going, you probably noticed that the first five weeks talked a lot about this vertical relationship between us and God, how God has come into our lives. And, and Chad talked about what happened in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. That relationship was broken and how we then became sinful. In, in the garden, we had free will. We had this choice. There were any tree in the garden we could eat from, including the tree of life, which meant as long as Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life, they would live forever in union with God, the Father. But there's only one tree that would break that union, the tree of knowledge. And they ate from that tree, breaking that relationship and bringing death, separation from God into the universe. And Chad talked about that. And then Steve came up and, and he talked about how God has restored that vertical relationship. How he has adopted us as believers into his family. How, how he brought justification through his son for our sin and made us right with him and brought that in. And we talked about sanctification. And over these weeks, we focused a lot about this vertical relationship. And Chad and Steve both mentioned how it, even this vertical relationship can still affect other people because there's ripple effects from our sin out to those around us. And so we've mentioned the horizontal relationship, but for the next two weekends, we're going to focus on that horizontal relationship, the relationship that we have with each other. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on that today and next week, talk about how those relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ should look like and with other people. And why are we doing this? Why are we doing this series? It's more than just about building small groups. It really is about trying to remind us about the gospel. Because we have a tendency to drift from the good news that Jesus has died for our sins, that God has made a way to redeem us. And so we need to recover that. We need to recover that as an understanding of our life, to understand that Jesus is the fuel that not only brought a right relationship with God the Father, but makes right relationships by the way we look with, at one another. And so 
just as we've talked about this for the five weeks, we're now going to, like I said, shift gear and talk about our horizontal relationships. So let's dig into uh, a section of scripture that, that is one of my most beloved sections of scripture. I love reading this because it tells so much about both the vertical relationship that we have and how that should affect our horizontal relationships with each other. So it's in 2 Corinthians, beginning at chapter 5, verse 14. And it says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations may say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As Matt Chandler pointed out in the series, I don't live there anymore. I live there. A new thing has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, God was in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, and that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this section of Scripture. There's so many pearls in here that Paul has given us. I love the way when it talks about how we regarded Christ in the flesh and we regarded others that way. You know, I used to regard Christ in the flesh. I used to think of him in an intellectual way, not a spiritual way. I used to think of him as, as maybe he was a good teacher. Uh, maybe he was a wise man. Maybe he was a visitor from another planet. I don't know. But I used to think of him in a mindset that came from me, not from God. And I used to think of people that same way. I used to think of the people around me in a way that had to do only with my selfish motives. Today, I look at Jesus as being God in flesh. That God came upon and made flesh a man, Jesus, who then, as God, as man, was able to walk among his creation and experience the things that, that we experience. But I also, before I knew Jesus, before I understand that, I looked at people in that same way. What was best for me? For example, if you insulted me, I knew what to do. I must destroy you. 
I must destroy your way of thinking. I must take that out of the way. If, if you actually worked with me and, and you were competing with me for a particular job, I knew what to do. I needed to make you look bad so that you were no longer a threat to me. I lived that way for years, always being against the people around me because I didn't see them the way Jesus sees them. I saw them only as what was best for me. Today, I look at that very differently. But no longer do I do that. And I don't do that because the love of Christ is in me. Now I see people in a different way because Christ compels me to do that. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, let's pick up back there. It's in your bulletin. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As Matt Chandler said, he talked about moving to a different house and that he had to live differently. I don't live there anymore. I live there. The old is gone. I have a new life, a new way of living. I am a new creation. That old person who looked at Jesus as a fleshly person, who looked at others in a prideful way, is gone. It still tries to creep in, but I have to remind myself, I don't live there anymore. I live there. I live in a new place. And as Corinthians continues on, Paul says this, all this is from God. It's God who righted that vertical relationship, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us a message of reconciliation. You see, God, when he was separated from us by our action in the garden, there had to be a way of breaking that back. And so God himself took it upon himself to make that means of reconciliation. Jesus, who walked among us and knew who we were and understood us and understood the challenges of our lives, he reached out to mankind. And he also was able to reach out to his father, who he had been with, united from eternity. And on the cross, he reconciles us. He brings us together. He brings the rebellious creation to the father creator and brings us together, reconciles us, makes that relationship right. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, think about an ambassador. Ambassador is probably the way we most often understand that, is the United States has ambassadors to other countries. These are politicians, they're people who go to that country and they represent the United States. They might go to, to Great Britain or Japan or wherever. Now, if the ambassador goes there, the other people from that government will deal with that ambassador. And if that ambassador is not a very good person, if they don't listen to them, if, if they won't accept them and, and they deal harshly with them, then that ambassador is setting a bad example for all the rest of us who they represent. Because the people of that country, say Japan or Great Britain, will think poorly of us because this is the kind of person that represents us. The same is true of Jesus. We, as Christians, are ambassadors 
for Christ. As we go out into the world, we represent Christ. And if we don't represent him in a good way, if our actions are mean and harsh and without compassion, then people see that upon us and it reflects poorly on our King, Jesus. So as ambassadors, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to bring good attention to God by the way we act. Now, what does that look like? Well, in John 13, it says this. Jesus is talking, and he, he talks about how they will know who his disciples are by the way we love each other. The love we have for each other within the congregation and with other Christians should be a kind of love that is different. It should be attractive. People should see how we react to each other and love each other and care about each other. And that should make a difference. See, we're to regard no one according to the flesh. But you know, in our culture, that's not the norm. In our culture, there are people who literally are based, their entire job, their profession, is to be nothing but negative. There are entire television networks that exist 24-7 just to criticize somebody of a different political belief. And it makes no difference how good that person may have done something, they will never give them credit. Do you know anyone like that in your life? No matter how good something is, no matter how great somebody has done something, there's someone who finds something negative about it. And that seeps into the church. It seeps in with gossip and slander and the way we criticize others. We're to be above that. We as Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, it's not that we can't have opinions. And it's not that we can't differ. But we are to love one another through those things. We're not to sin against our brothers and sisters in Christ. God puts a very heavy weight on those who are ambassadors of Christ on how we react with others. So what are we supposed to do? Well, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul said in chapter 12, 18, he says this, if possible, so that means it's not always possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Now again, it says if possible. So that means there probably are some times when Paul knew it wouldn't always be possible. But we're to live with peace with each other. In fact, God himself talks about the relationships. He talks about this vertical relationship with him and how it still applies horizontally to us and other people. In the book of Numbers, God is talking to Moses. And he says to Moses this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that the people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, so it's sin against God, and the person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for the wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did wrong. So God is saying there is a two-way sin, that when you sin against others, you're sinning against him. When you sin against him that affects others, you're sinning against them. And we are to correct that. We are to fix that relationship. Now, how do you do that? That's the question. If you know you've done something against somebody, you've hurt them, how do you approach that and make it right? 
Well, I started with a story of two people in Rwanda, two people who you can't imagine how far apart they were. Patricia, who had been wounded, still carried the scars from the attack when she was uh, running away from her village in Rwanda. And Alois, a man who was involved in that attack. But they see each other each day, Alois cleaning latrines, being humiliated, and fearing that perhaps Patricia's relatives or someone will kill him in retribution. Patricia, every day seeing this man who had hurt her, her neighbor, and feeling angry. Neither one of them knew what to do. But there are Christian organizations that have tried to go into Rwanda. You see, there's a Rwandan saying, God travels around the earth, but he stays in Rwanda because we need him so badly. And the people there began to try and understand how will God change things here? Well, there was something called a dialogue club that was developed. And these dialogue clubs allowed people a safe place, a secure place, where both the perpetrators and the victims could come together and begin to understand and talk to each other. Patricia learned the importance of forgiveness, and Alois learned how to approach someone and ask for that forgiveness. And indeed, after a while, he did that. Alois went to Patricia. He admitted that he had been part of the people who had attacked her, something he had never confessed to, even, even though he'd been convicted of it. He admitted it, and he also admitted that he had stolen some of her property that she didn't even know he was the one that did that. And he asked for forgiveness. And Patricia did that. She gave him forgiveness. And she said this. She said, I realize there is no future for peace unless I can live in peace with my neighbors, even if they participated in my attack during the war. And for Alois, he said about receiving forgiveness from Patricia, this has given me my dignity back, the dignity that I lost through all that greed and selfishness and anger that had come out. Now I can face her every day, knowing that we have a restored relationship. The two work together in the same workplace every day. Even this horrible, broken relationship could be restored because Alloys was willing and needed to ask for forgiveness. Have you ever asked someone for forgiveness? Have you ever gone to someone and said, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing? Well, how do you do that? Well, there's a man named Ken Sandy, and we've mentioned his book before. It's The Peacemaker. Uh, and uh, it's a Christian-based, a Bible-based book. And in there, he gives seven A's of confessions. And they're in your bulletin. If you want to take your bulletin and look at that, there's some blanks for you to fill out as we go through these. The seven A's of confession. The first is to address everyone involved. You know, you may tend to say, well, I can just, you know, if you're a husband and you've spoken harshly to the family, maybe you go back and apologize to your wife. But that's not the best thing to do. The optimum thing to do is that your children actually see you apologize to everyone, your wife and them as well, when they were affected. Uh, avoid if, but, and maybe. Avoid if, but, and maybe. Have you ever had someone come back to you and say, listen, 
I'm sorry I said that, but, you know, if it hadn't been for what you did, well, you know, that's really not a confession. How did that make you feel? It, didn't, it made you feel like it wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. Because they were putting in an excuse. They were trying to justify it, and you just probably felt attacked again. So avoid any ifs, buts, and maybes. Admit specifically. Say exactly what you did that was wrong. Acknowledge the hurt. Say, look, I, I understand. I, I caused you pain. I understand that hurt you. I'm, I'm sorry. That, that was inappropriate. Accept the consequences. Sometimes it won't lead to reconciliation. You know, the truth about it is, and you've heard this before, trust is earned slowly and lost quickly. If someone has said something to you privately, something that they wanted you to keep private and, and, and confidential and you told other people and it got out, you know, they may be able to, to walk with you again as a brother or sister in Christ, but they may not trust you with something confidential again for a long time. Alter your behavior more than words. Behavior change speaks loud. Because we all know that. If you, for example, use profanity regularly, you're saying bad words and around your children, and, and then you say, I was wrong, I shouldn't do that. But you keep doing it. They're not going to believe you really mean it. You have to try because of Christ, because of that, that grace-driven effort that Steve talked about, that grace-driven effort to try and actually change what you do to move that behavior before, behind you. And finally, ask for forgiveness. Just simply say that. Now, people aren't always going to give it. There are people who have left Life Community Church, and, and I called them up and said, hey, what, what's, what gives, you know? Are you upset about something? And they told me something they were upset about, and I asked for their forgiveness, and they didn't give it. Okay? That's, that's a real possibility. As far as it depends on you, it's up to us to still do it. It's up to us to still say we're sorry and to understand that other people may not accept that. That's in their part. What do you do? You bless them, you pray for them, and you move on. But it has to be sincere. You know, you can say all the right things, but if, it, if it's not real, people know it. Guys, women have some sort of radar, this ESP thing. If, if you're not telling the truth to your wife, she'll know it. People understand that. I want to show you a, a, an example of, a, of a, an apology, a confession, where it's all the right words, but, but you tell me if this person really means it or not. Now apologize! But uh, me to you? Apologize. All right, all right, I apologize. You're really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back. I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family. And I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. Okay. <laughs> okay. All the right words, but it wasn't sincere. If you don't mean it, don't do it. 
people will figure it out. It has to be sincere. And so, does it work? Does it help restore relationships? Well, it does. And this is effective because this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Uh, a few years back, there were a couple here. There, and and uh, some things happened in a small group and it just blew up. And it blew out of proportion. It became very public. It involved families and involved some of the leadership here at Life. And, and it just really got out of control. And this couple were badly hurt and their children. And, and they left life. Well, I didn't know everything that had happened, but I began to pick up on some of it. And so I, I called the husband and asked him what was going on. And he asked me this question. Where's the love? And so I went back to him. And I apologized for where we were wrong. I told him, admitted, I owned it, and said that shouldn't have happened. And I asked him for forgiveness. And they did. And they came back. They're here. They have served now faithfully as small group leaders and that with guardrails in place so that what happened before won't happen again. That's recovering redemption. They remember what the gospel has done for them. And so they were willing to forgive us. It's recovering redemption because they have redeemed the pain that they felt and turn that in a way of helping other people. And so today, there is no better way to conclude this transition that we have today of the vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with one another than to conclude this service with communion, with the Lord's Supper. The way that Jesus prescribed, we are to worship him. This is worship. This is hearts and minds set to Jesus, thinking about him and what he's done. Now I'm going to read the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us, preparing ourselves for communion. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So what does this tell us? Well, communion, the Lord's Supper is the way that Jesus said we're to remember him. We remember that the, the bread br broken reminds us of Christ's body broken as he went to the cross. The juice reminds us of Jesus' blood shed for us. It reminds us of our sin. You see, in any relationship, 
In any relationship, a marriage relationship, a family relationship, we have times where we come and we restore that relationship, a Thanksgiving get-together, a Christmas get-together in our families. It's a time where we restore things. We remember what we've come from, and we restore that relationship again. That's what communion is. It's restoring that vertical relationship again, remembering what Jesus has done. But it's also because we take it together as a church family. It reminds us of our horizontal relationships as one another. As we come to the tables together, as we share together, it reminds us that who we are too. Now, these are, this is a table for believers, okay? You know, this is for people who believe that Jesus died for their sins. It's a table for people who discern the body and blood, understand what it means. You know, if that's not you yet, that's okay. Hold back. If you don't believe yet, if you still regard Jesus in the flesh, if you still look at him that way, then that's all right. Watch us and see what that means to us. But for the rest of us who do believe, this is a point in time where when we come down, we share it together. Now, the way we'll do this is, is I will pray. The band will play a couple of songs. You should examine yourself before you come. Ask God, what is our relationship? And renew that relationship. And then come and break off a piece of bread and take a cup of juice and go back to your chair or take it down here. And then remember. Remember the cross. Remember what He's done for you. Remember that God restored that relationship with you. For those of you who might be the first to come to the table, the bread is wrapped in some cellophane. Just go ahead and unwrap it and make it easier for those who come after you. So we're going to bow our heads in prayer. The band's going to come back out. And we're going to share the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women, for the opportunity today to sit under your word, to be compelled, controlled, and captivated by you, by your love in us. Now, I pray right now for conversations that are going to happen this week, conversations that you will bring upon our minds now through the work of your spirit of people we have sinned against by our words, our gossip, our action. No, we're going to make it right because it's what's best for you as an ambassador of Christ. It's what's best for you. That you'll help us to see this world as new creation. That you'll remind us that we don't live in that old place anymore. That we died to that. And we now live in a new place a place with you. As we share this common meal, Lord, that reminds us of what Jesus did for us, we ask that you remind us of your grace, the undeserved forgiveness that we have because of the great price that Jesus paid for us. We come before you with thankful hearts. Send your Holy Spirit to guide us through the time, a time that we remember Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.